NPR. So this one time, back in 2011, Philip Glover had a problem with the plumbing at his house. So he called a company called Roto-Rooter. They came and worked on the, the plumbing a little bit, and, and it kept backing up and backing up, but it never got fixed. And I had to go to another company, but they wanted to keep billing me. And so they kept billing me. Waylon, what would you do in this situation? Ugh, give up. I know, these things are so hard. <laughs> That's how they get you. They just wear you down. Yes, who cannot relate to this? Like, do you really want to fight the company or just pay up? But that is not what Philip did. As he told our colleagues at the NPR News show All Things Considered, Philip decided to reach out to what was a new government agency at the time, something called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB. I ended up getting hold of CFPB, and they sent them a letter. And the next time I got a letter from Roto-Rooter, it was that they would not be billing me any further. Later on, when Phil had a billing dispute with Verizon, he reached out to the CFPB again. And next thing you know, Verizon backed off. That agency has leverage and they have lawyers. And I think that's what uh, a regular person out here needs. Now, the CFPB started about 12 years ago to help people like Phil. And this is one of those situations where the name says it all. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau exists to provide consumers with protection against financial shenanigans. Things like predatory lending, deceptive contracts, bogus fees. But recently, the Bureau found itself in front of the Supreme Court trying to defend itself against companies who argue that the Bureau itself is bogus. This is The Indicator for Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. And I'm Waylon Wong. After the break, the CFPB, its origins, why it grew so powerful, and why its critics want to see it taken down. Support for NPR and the following message come from Fisher Investments. SVP Judy Abrams shares how their fiduciary duty comes to life while helping clients plan for retirement. As a fiduciary, we must make decisions in our clients' best interest. So we work with them in consultation to be on a glide path so when they want the option to retire, that portfolio is still going to keep working for them at this stage of life. Learn more at FisherInvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Certified Financial Planners. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, Certified Financial Planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. In the late 2000s, a Harvard Law professor named Elizabeth Warren made this pitch to Congress and the American public for a new kind of financial regulator. Uh, Right now, we have an agency that we desperately need both to stabilize American families and, frankly, for the stability of the American economy. I think it has This was way before she was known as Senator Warren or presidential candidate Warren. The country was still reeling from the Great Recession, caused by a meltdown in the mortgage market. 
And of course, there were already existing financial regulators, right? Like the Securities and Exchange Commission, which oversees Wall Street investing. Or the Federal Trade Commission, which polices monopolies and big business practices. But for the individual consumer, right, when the plumbing company won't stop billing you or the bank hits you with two overdraft fees in a day or when the mortgage lender is pushing a predatory loan, who are you going to call? In the late 2000s, maybe Yelp? Uh, Good luck with that. At the time, we had something like one in 10 mortgages blowing up and causing, you know, destructive damage for both the lender and certainly for the borrower. Stacey Cowley has covered the agency for The New York Times, and she says in arguing for its creation, Elizabeth Warren often drew a comparison to consumer goods. And the metaphor she liked to use was that if one in 10 toasters was blowing up and causing harm, we would have regulated that thing out of existence. Like, why is this that, you know, when it's a typical tangible product, we have pretty intense consumer safety regulations, and when it's a financial product, we don't. So the CFPB was created to focus on regulating business practices that affect these individual consumers. But in order to do that effectively, Elizabeth Warren argued that it had to be independent. It had to avoid the problem regulatory agencies often face, which is they become these political footballs. Like a new president gets elected and then they start firing people or a new Congress comes in and they start slashing the agency's budget. So two things were done at the outset that made this agency kind of a little bit unique and pretty powerful. The first was that it was a single director-run agency. One head honcho who was appointed for a five-year term. That's different from most federal regulators, which are run by a panel of appointees, often from both political parties. Right, it's like fewer chefs in the kitchen, right? That's right, just got one big cheese. And now the second way the CFPB is also different from most agencies is the way it is funded. Instead of having to go to Congress every year and get Congress to appropriate the money to run this agency, instead we're going to have Congress set a cap, but then the agency will get its money by simply going to the Federal Reserve and telling it how much it needs, and the Federal Reserve will write a check. And that was explicitly designed to keep the agency from being something that Congress could starve when it wanted to. And so from the start, the CFPB's structure made it more independent than the usual agency. And for most of the 12 years it's been around, it has been pretty aggressive in carrying out its mission. By the way, 12 years is still pretty young in federal agency terms, right? So it's like an aggressive baby. It is an agency that can make rules. So when it sees a gap in the market and says, we need new rules to police this thing, it has the power to do that. It's also a law enforcement agency. It's charged with enforcing the rules it creates and the existing uh, consumer protection rules. And it also is a supervisory agency. Um, So it also does things like it has bank examiners. Huh. Okay. This is not the greatest analogy because it sounds a bit dramatic. But when you started to say, like, well, it can make rules, it can also enforce the rules. I was thinking about that movie Judge Dredd. Mm where the tagline is like judge, jury, and executioner. Like, well, that is a good analogy because that's exactly, you know, a lot of the industry criticism of the CFPB is exactly that. This idea that this one agency led by this one individual can act as judge, jury, and executioner in a fairly large and powerful market. This power would later become a liability for the agency, but it also meant this new watchdog had some real teeth. Mortgage market run amok? Bam! New regulations on mortgage lending. Wells Fargo creating sham accounts for its customers? Shabow! Multi-million dollar fines. Banks collecting billions in overdraft fees? How about a multi-year pressure campaign resulting in the banks dropping overdraft fees altogether? I'll take it. And on top of that, the agency says its enforcement actions have resulted in about $19 billion in debt relief and compensation for consumers. 
When you file a complaint, the company that you file it on typically has to respond. And the agency tracks. Do they respond? Did they address your problem? Was there money involved in redressing your problem? Then look, sometimes it gets results and sometimes it doesn't. But filing a complaint that the CFPB does force a company to respond. And I've certainly spoken to people who've gotten, you know, refund checks and things like that because they did that. But the qualities that made the CFPB such a powerful regulator also made it hated by Republicans. For instance, during the Trump administration, Congress and President Trump rolled back a CFPB rule aimed at the payday lending industry. And they also rolled back a rule aimed at banning forced arbitration clauses. These things in contracts that don't allow people to bring class action lawsuits against companies. And the president also appointed folks to the agency who were critics of the CFPB, people like Mick Mulvaney. Um, yeah, my, my, my opinion of the structure of the CFPB has not changed. Um, I still think it's an awful example of a bureaucracy uh, that has gone wrong when it is almost entirely unaccountable to the people that uh, are supposed to oversee it or supposed to pay for it. And not surprisingly, a lot of businesses who've been subject to the CFPB's oversight agree. Various industry groups have sued the agency over the years. And in 2020, one of those lawsuits wound up in the Supreme Court. In that case, the court held that actually the president can fire the head of the CFPB whenever they want. Yeah. And earlier this month, a group of payday lenders argued in the Supreme Court that, you know, the CFPB's funding system, how they get money from the Fed instead of Congress, They argued that this is unconstitutional, and therefore the CFPB doesn't have the authority to make the rules it's been making. So in short, the very things that made the Bureau an unusually strong independent regulator also made it a target for critics. Now, this latest case won't be decided for several months. But Stacey says it's not clear the Supreme Court buys the plaintiff's arguments, which would call into question everything the CFPB has been doing for the past 12 years. I think it's fair to say they will continue being controversial for as long as they exist in that <laughs> it is, you know, it is a powerful agency. And I think, too, that you've seen the things that haven't worked. The fact that the payday law got gutted, the fact that the arbitration rule went away is an indication of, you know, political checks and balances are real. In other words, this watchdog might still have teeth, but it also matters who's holding the leash. This episode is produced by Corey Bridges with engineering by Sina Lafredo. Sierra Juarez checked the facts and Alex Goldmark edited this episode. Kate and Cannon is our editor and The Indicator is a production of NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.